0: It is really cool to be with you. I'm a pastor at uh, Church of the Apostles in the city over on the east side, northeast Baltimore, and uh, um, I've just heard lots of good things about you all. Uh, I've known John uh, for a couple of years, and uh, some of my friends have come and spent time here with you guys. Oh, I see Rachel. Hi. I used to have a, uh, we used to meet as a house church on Wednesday nights at my house, and we would have Folks from the, the, the light come every once in a while to our house to hang out for dinner and worship and ministry and stuff. And, um, so it's great to be here and finally see the light. I like it. I love this space, too. This is an amazing old church. Incredible. We meet in an old church, too. Um, but so here we are. And the beginning of the year, uh, we started, our church began a, oh, thank you we We began a uh time of healing or a time of 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 uh fasting and prayer as well and uh actually we've been preaching our preaching team has been preaching on prayer since uh september i guess and we've been kind of cycling through different areas of prayer talk we'd spent uh uh two months talking about the the lord's prayer and kind of broke that down and now we we're uh we're doing a really short series for three weeks to kind of break down the um, one of the most famous prayers about prayer. Uh, if, if you go to any prayer meeting, you're almost guaranteed that somebody is going to pull this scripture out. And I bet a bunch of you can guess what it is. is. Second Chronicles 7.14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I... Will see them and hear them. I will. I will heal their land. So, um, that prayer, that scripture is like. That's that's one of the primary like trumpet calls for revival, and that prayer has spurred on prayer for revival throughout the history. Throughout history, so we're going to break that down, uh, and I'm going to spend. I'm going to uh, open up the context for you because I was actually kind of surprised about where that passage comes. In spiritual history, Uh, do you know what was happening on the day that the Lord gave that word to Solomon? Interesting stuff is going on. You know, Israel's relationship with God is always up and down, right? Sometimes they're in, sometimes they're out, sometimes they're faithful, sometimes they're rebelling. And when do you think, where do you think Israel was in their relationship with God when God gave them that word? Were they doing good, or were they rebelling? Oh, is this going to be that kind of crowd? Come on, guys. <laughs> Seriously. All right. So, I was surprised by this. I should have known better. I actually, I have a real education in the Bible. I should have known where this was. But I was just really surprised, because this, this passage comes... At the high point of Israel's relationship with God. God gives Israel this word on the day. The very day that the temple is getting dedicated. Israel has enjoyed two generations of revival at this point. King David has has totally uh, consolidated the kingdom. He has, with God's help, he has... um, He's conquered all the enemies around Israel that could threaten Israel. Wealth and favor and power have just flowed into the country. The country has grown. They're doing really, really well. David has assembled, David brought in workers and assembled the materials, came up with a plan, and Solomon spent um, at least a decade building the temple, rebuilding, building out Jerusalem, building the king's palace. And they're at a place, they're ready to dedicate it. The temple is this really special place. The temple is literally designed to be the connection spot between heaven and earth. This is the special place on the earth where people can come and be forgiven. This is the key spot on the planet For people to come and be reconciled with God. This is the place designed to gather all of the nations to see the glory of God. And they're ready to dedicate it. They're ready to kick it off. They've built, the the altar is assembled, the sacrifice is on the altar, and Solomon stands on the steps of the temple above the altar and he prays. And he spends a long chapter, chapter 6 of Second Chronicles, prior to this word, he spends a long chapter praying through the conditions of the covenant with God. We are your people. You are our God. When we sin, we will turn back to you. When we turn back to you, you'll forgive us. When we've wronged one of our brothers, we will make reconcil- we'll reconcile, we'll make recompense and make things right. When we have turned away from you, we could be carried away into another land and you'll bring us back. He, he totally lays out the whole, like this, it's like the cliff notes for Deuteronomy. It's pretty amazing how he just, he lays this whole thing out. All of chapter 6, and this is just, let me just give you a sample of what this sounds like. Um, This is the end of chapter 6. If they sin against you, he's talking about Israel. Okay, keep in mind, the whole nation has spent a week preparing themselves for this celebration. They've consecrated themselves, they've fasted, they've cleansed themselves. They're ready for this incredible encounter with God. This is an unrepeatable encounter with God. You know, when they build a new stadium and it opens and the first crowd goes in, that never happens again. It only happens once. And these people know we are the first to see the temple opened. We are the first to see God come into this place. There they are listening to to Solomon pray. This is the end of what he prays for them. If they sin against you, for there's no one who does not sin, and you are angry with them, and give them to an enemy, so that they are carried away captive to a land far or near. If they repent with all their mind and with all their heart in the land of their captivity to which they have been carried captive, and pray towards their land which you gave to their fathers, the city that you have chosen, and the house that you have built for your name. Then, hear from heaven your dwelling place, their prayer and their pleas, and maintain their cause, and forgive your people who have sinned against you. Now, O my God, let your eyes be open and your ears attentive to the prayer of this place. Heaven opens up, and fire falls on the altar. Nobody lights the match. Fire from heaven falls on the altar and consumes the sacrifice. And the glory of God fills the temple. So With so much of his presence, his presence is so heavy that the priests and the Levites can't stand. They fall. They won't go in the temple because it's too thick. This is like when Moses would meet with God in the tabernacle in the wilderness and the cloud would come down and all the people would come out of their tents and say, yep, there's Moses meeting with God. Nobody else could go in. This is like the cloud that rested on the mountain when the people were in the wilderness during the exile and God came down to meet with them. It's that cloud, that visible, tangible, present presence of God. On the temple, in the temple. And then, so they have a celebration. They spend the day, they spend the rest of the week. They know they're going to spend the rest of the week celebrating, right? So they, they sacrifice more bulls and, and sheep than can be counted. They have this incredible celebration, And there's all this worship and all this music, and then God answers Solomon at night when he's alone. And God says to Solomon, this is what the word says in in chapter 7. When Solomon finished the house of the Lord, the king's house, and the king's house, all that Solomon planned to do in the house of the Lord and in his house, he was successfully accomplished. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer, and I have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command the locust." To devour the land or send pestilence among my people. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place, for now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart. Will be there for all time. The Lord is answering Solomon's prayer. In the previous chapter, Solomon prays through this, the conditions of the covenant, and Solomon knows that the people are going to fail. They won't be faithful. They can't be faithful. Can any of us be faithful? They need the Lord's mercy and help to keep the covenant. And then this is, this is the Lord's personal answer to Solomon. He comes to him at night, and he says, I heard your prayer. You've interceded for the people, and I will answer your request. So when I shut up heaven and disaster strikes, if my people are called, who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, I will not forget them. What's with the doom and gloom? This is an amazing day. This is the high point of Israel's relationship with God, and he gives them a measure of doom and gloom. Why do they need this strong word of warning right now? If you're not in trouble, you will be soon. It's part of life. And disaster is an invitation to draw closer to the Lord. And God knows the time to decide to do what's right is not in the crisis, it's before the crisis. When things are the best, he knows that trouble might be just right around the corner. And we need to know how to get back home. When disaster strikes us, will we remember where to go? Most people won't. In fact, way too many people and way too many of God's people We'll actually blame God for the disaster when it comes. You know, when a friend betrays us, when a job is lost, when the car accident happens, when sickness comes, when calamity strikes, it's all too often our response is an accusation against God. Why did you do this to me? What did I do to deserve this? Anybody with me? Am I talking to the right group? All right. (laughs) As if we've been living so cleanly, right? As if we've been so completely faithful. As if we've done everything right. As if accidents don't happen at all. As if we sometimes don't make really bad decisions, just all on our own, right? As if some people just haven't heard us. As if we don't have an enemy that prowls around looking for who he might destroy. And as if creation isn't coming apart at the seams. As if there's no one else to blame but God. As if there's no one else to blame but God. But we're different. We are different because we are his people called by his name. Amen. We are his people. We are his and he is ours and we can choose to be different. We can choose to respond differently when trouble comes our way, when disaster strikes, when things don't work out. If my people who are called by my name, this is about identity. And I'm just telling you, we cannot have an identity crisis in the midst of a financial crisis. We can't have an identity crisis in the midst of a health crisis. We cannot have an identity crisis in the midst of a natural crisis. When do football teams figure out how they're going to run plays? Do they work on that in the huddle? No, they don't. They've been figuring that stuff out for months. They've been practicing for months. The blockers know where to go. The runners know where to run. The receivers know where to be. The quarterback knows when to throw. They practice that. They've decided a long time ago what they're going to do. When does the Red Cross figure out what they're going to do the next time a flood comes? They've already positioned stuff. They've already got a plan. They already know what equipment they need. When does an army prepare for war? In peace. When do we decide when we're going to do the right thing before we need to. We need to know that we are his people and we are called by his name and we will choose to humble ourselves in the midst of a crisis. And here's where humility is important because in the midst of a crisis it really is our temptation to decide we can handle this. That we can find the solution. We can dig ourselves out of this. But we can't. We really can't. We really need him. And the way to him is through prayer. Look at what God does as a response to this. See, this is an Old Covenant prayer. This is an Old Testament prayer. And don't you know, the Old Testament gets fulfilled, right? All the prayers in the, new, in the Old Covenant come true in who, in what? When Jesus comes, Jesus is the answer to this prayer. Look how he does this. This is beautiful. Paul describes this in Philippians chapter 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, to the glory of God the Father. When Jesus made himself nothing, he did not stop being God. Even though he is equal to God, even though all things that were created were created by him and for him, even though through him all things are held together, still, still, he decided he would hold nothing back. Nothing would hold him back from becoming human. Nothing would hold him back from sharing our mess. Nothing would hold him back from joining our suffering. Nothing would hold him back from experiencing every temptation and every trial and every trouble. Nothing would hold him back from being completely obedient and nothing would hold him back from loving us. Nothing would hold him back from dying under the weight of evil. And nothing would hold him back from dragging evil and death into the grave with him. And nothing would hold him back from rising to new life. This is what it means to be God in the flesh. And this is what it means to be truly human, as only Jesus can be. And he did what only God could do. Adam could not do it, but Jesus did. Israel could not do it, but Jesus did. He looked at the temple, this temple that was the center of the world this temple that was the place of connection with God. And he said, if you tear that down, I'll rebuild it in three days. He was prophesying about A.D. 70 when the Romans would come and tear that temple down for the second time, never to be rebuilt again. Why was it never rebuilt again? Didn't need to be. Because Jesus is now the temple. Everything that the temple represented, Jesus now does. Jesus is the place where people come to experience God now. Jesus is the place where forgiveness comes. Jesus is the place where reconciliation happens. And you are the temple because He lives in you. And you live in Him. And you share in His glory. The glory of God that was given to him has been given to you and you carry it. And you are now reconcilers. You are now forgivers. You are now rescuers. You are now healers. So how do we pray this prayer? It's now with Jesus that we find our identity as people of God. When we're in crisis, he's the one to run to. When we've strayed and stumbled, we humble ourselves and return to him. When we've run after other gods and given ourselves over to idols, he's the one we return to. When our businesses fail and our jobs are lost, when our home is taken from us or our children don't follow the Lord... When cancer invades our bodies, when storms strike, we remember we are the people of God. We are his people, and he is ours. He lives in us, and we live in him. And he is the place that is safest for us to be in the midst of the storm. He is the way back. He is the place to encounter. He has shown us how to come back home again. He is our hope and our salvation, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Father, we ask, we thank you that you give us the way home, even in the midst of crisis, that in the midst of the best day ever, you make provision for the worst day ever. That when even when things are going well, you're ready for when things are not. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy to keep on pursuing us, to keep coming after us, to keep rescuing us, keep reaching out for us. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for sending your son, for restoring us and healing us, reconciling us, and bringing us into, pre- into your presence and into relationship with you. And Father, I pray right now for any who are in crisis right now, in Jesus' name, Lord, that you would come to the rescue for them right now in a real and tangible way. Lord, you are the one who can reach into every situation. So right now, in Jesus' name, Father, come. Come and bring your rescue in the midst of crisis. Come and help as only you can help. Thank you, Jesus.